Hi, I'm RJ O'Connell, co-host and lead editor of Motorsport 101. We recorded this, our 209th episode, on Wednesday, August 28th, 2019. Shortly before this episode was set to come out to the general public, on Saturday, August 31st, we were dealt an unthinkable tragedy when Formula 2 rookie Antoine Hubert was taken from us in a grisly multi-car accident at Circuit de Spa-Francorchamps during the Formula 2 feature race. We here at Motorsport 101 would like to extend our sincerest condolences to Antoine's family, friends, and loved ones. We'll talk more about this on episode 210. Please enjoy the show. Rest in power, Antoine. He comes across in front of me every single time he ever takes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop Guaranteed to waste less of your time than the Porsche Formula E livery reveal. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Unfortunately, it was my idea to give Cam the intro segment. And that's how you know he's truly made it. You might as well give him the keys to the office. <laughs> oh, <laughs> God, it hurt. One. It hurts so much to say. <laughs> I'm your friendly neighbourhood, Mr. Andre Harrison. And welcome to episode 209 of Motorsport 101. Or, as I really want to rename the episode, episode 135 Not Out. Shout out to the boy Ben Stokes on that one. What a legend. Uh, a, a crowning, wonderful day for gingers <laughs> and kiwis. Sorry about that World Cup. Right. <laughs> I am here, as always, with a vast array of notes. And we had to get out the extra chair as well, because there's four people in for this episode this week. First of all, Mr. Ryan Eric King. Hello, sir. GG, everyone. Uh, GG, everyone. Don't know what I spent the last three hours of my life doing, but we'll get to that in the show. Glad to be here. We'll get into that later on in the news segment, because uh, apparently Porsche wasted a lot of people's time. More on that later. GG, um, everyone. Cut fresh back from a trip to Japan. It's RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. Welcome oh, hi, back. Hi, And hello. Wait, what he said. <laughs> That's how's your Japanese coming along? I, I was amazed at how little I actually retained by the time I got there. I, I'll, I'll, get, I'll delve into that in a bit. Don't worry, I did five years of GCSE French and I've not retained a thing. I completely know how, how that feels. I know a lot of British high school kids that will know exactly what I'm talking about right now. <laughs> and we had to break out the extra chair because joining us, and he's now pretty much a fully-fledged presenter given we just gave, we just gave him an intro segment... Good, good lord help us all. He's actually paying his rent. Hello, Cam Buckley. What do you mean? I always pay my rent. Mm-hmm. You can't pay us in shotguns, Cam. You know how this works, right? What the fuck do you have me here for? Look, look. Shotguns can be traded in at a pawn shop for for cash goods. Exactly. Yeah, but... 
Yeah, but you know, this this is like American pawn shops they put on TV, so they've got to like call an expert first and see what he reckons it's worth, and then maybe negotiate, uh, maybe negotiate down um, to a, a more reasonable price, and then set it off afterwards, uh, something like that. Anywho. <laughs> I'm going to get the uh, the uh, intro out of the way real quick because we've got a lot to get through on this episode. RJ was in Suzuka for their 10-hour yearly festival, um, and he was there in person. You know, and that was awesome. So he gets to control the floor and talk about that for a bit. We'll also be talking about MotoGP's British Grand Prix, a fantastic weekend of racing led by one of the all-time great finishes as Alex Rins steals one from Marc Marquez by 13 thousandths of a second. And he stared at him going over the line. It's a work of art. Um, more on that later. We'll also be talking about the IndyCar Bon Marito Automotive Group 500 at Gateway. Uh, as Takuma Sato has a bit of redemption for Pocono with his second win of the season over Ed Carpenter? <laughs> um, yeah, that Ed Carpenter. And Tony Kanaan was on the podium. And we had championship implications. And a shocking secret about everybody's new favourite broadcasting sum. That should be fun. Um, and we'll be talking about the news as Porsche took three hours of everybody's lives that they will not be getting back. The Spanish Grand Prix is still on the F1 calendar. That'll be divisive. And a big change in World Superbikes was finally confirmed um, as uh, Alvaro Bautista is gone uh, in, in shocking news to everyone that doesn't read MCN. Find out who his replacement is later on in the show. Anyway, places you can find us real quick. We're on youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101. I'm going to find it real quick the other day because I actually did a uh, quite uh, meaty, shall we say, video talking about what happened in Pocono. Um, thanks to everybody that took the time out to watch it. I know IndyCar isn't the most popular subject on the YouTube, on, on, on the YouTubes, but uh, the feedback was very, very good. The average view duration was, was nearly 10 minutes, which is very impressive for YouTube these days. So thank you very much for that, for everyone that took the time out to watch. It was, a, it was not an easy video to make um, at all, but uh, it was very, very fun. Although there is a bit of a blooper in it. Around the 22-minute mark, I claimed Pocono doesn't have safer barriers. Whoops. Thanks for correcting me there, King. Much appreciated in the comments there. You had to go tell it in public, didn't you? <laughs> it's, all, it's the only way to go. It's the only way to go. Thanks a bunch, bruh. <laughs> Thanks a bunch. Um, we're on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. If you'd like to find our personal handles, you can. At Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, that's with two Ks, at RJ O'Connell, and at Cam Buckley917. Just yank out the vowels and you'll you'll get there soon enough. And if you really, really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. $5 gets you early access to all of our shows. Um, and $10 gets you in the supporters club of our Discord server where you can listen to these episodes live as they're being recorded. I think we might have a record number of guests watching along with us this time around. I'm going to count it real quick. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight? Eight? That's a huge one. Thanks, everybody, in there. Um, for, for, hope you guys enjoy the show and chip in, as always, in the supporters chat. Much appreciated. One of those um, uh, audience members has written a new piece on their medium. Uh, go check out Charlie's uh, Twitter and the thing that uh -huh. he just wrote. It's very good. We'll, we'll post a link to it in the sub and the uh, when we put the episode out. 
Yeah, we will. We'll absolutely put that on Twitter because I did. I did read Charles's piece. It's a very powerful piece on on the LGBT community and its influence in motorsport from a very personal perspective. It's actually a little bit embarrassing on Twitter's part that they actually labelled that piece as sensitive content originally when I was logged into the M101 Twitter and I actually saw Charles's tweet in question, um, had, had the article in it. It's actually a bit embarrassing on Twitter's part, but hey, if you want to talk about Twitter embarrassments, we'd be here all week. Fix his shit, Twitter. That is not sensitive content whatsoever. Yeah, so the stuff frankly. I see on my timeline for that to be labeled sensitive content is a joke. No, it's a joke. It's a complete and utter joke. But um, please check it out and give it you know give it ten minutes of your time because it's well worth a read and it's a very important perspective on something that is not uh, brought up on uh, uh, on 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 motorsport circles in general enough quite frankly um and yeah go go give it some of your time and uh, it's 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 well worth the read indeed so all of that out of the way we're going to get into a heaped m101 tonight and we'll start up after this quick musical break rj the floor will be yours you talk about him being in japan and of course the 10 hours of suzuki I'm back. I'm still jet lagged. Um, where do y'all want me to start? <laughs> it's a lot to get. Well, I mean, how was getting there? Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> I know exactly why Kings brought this up. <laughs> um, go on. There may or may not have been a slight blooper involved on getting to Japan in the first place. Um. Oh God! Yes. No, I remember this. <laughs> oh no. Okay. So, so my my flights were all from Atlanta to Detroit. The Detroit flight was connecting me to Nagoya, where I'd be flying into to spend an entire week in the city of Yokaichi, between commuting between there and Suzuka Circuit for the Suzuka Ten Hours. Now, because this was largely an international flight. When I found myself being dropped off at the domestic terminal, I was thinking, no, this is wrong. I have an international flight today. So I take the shuttle to the international flight, only to get there and realize, hang on a second, my first flight is domestic. So I had to take a shuttle all the way back to the domestic airport. If you're familiar with Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport, it's fucking huge. So that <laughs> most was... U.S. airports are. Yeah. No, no, no. Hartsfield Jackson has a subway train. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's that. Long. Holy shit! It it's, is its own it's city. A, it's it's a ten to fifteen minute uh, bus ride either way. So with that out of the Fuck. way, knowing my knowing my suitcase was well busted and knowing my travel anxiety was going to be sky high, especially around takeoff time, we made it to Japan. To Nagoya to be greeted by Graham Goodwin of Daily Sports Car for a week in Yokaichi and Suzuka. It was it was a good time, but where should I start with that? I mean, what was it like being in Japan? Because I mean, it's it's an obviously it's an incredibly cultural uh, landscape and country, but it's it's one that I I still feel like isn't on the top of the list for most people as a tourist destination. So, you know. Well, tell us more. What was, what was it like? Yeah, this Yokaichi I can tell you is not like a massive city. It's a city about twenty 
200,000 people, very industrial, giant petrochemical plant. It's actually known more for having kind of shoddy air quality compared to the rest of the country. And I'll tell you one thing, um, because our hotel was directly at the uh, the train station, that meant everything was conveniently located. When I say everything, I mean, we're talking about the same chain of convenience store repeated three times within a span of a thousand feet. Yikes. So the bookies. Yeah. So, so you go, you stare across the street. There's a family mart across the street. You go to the train station. That's about a three minute walk. Underneath the train line, there's another family mart. You walk 500 feet. Surprise, there is another family mart. <laughs> and I'll tell you the density of vending machines. Granted, the vending machines are not as far out as you might think there were. There's like, yeah, the most far out there you get is like vending machines for cigarettes. But there, mm. there is a high density of vending machines. It's all very, very real. Yeah, this I have seen on many a YouTube video. It's like, look at all these vending machines that sell you all this quirky shit. Yeah. You know? I mean, the quirkiest thing you have is like Coca-Cola now has like an energy drink in Japan. That's probably the quirk. That's in the UK as well. Coca-Cola Energy. It costs like one. It costs like two bucks a can. It's crazy. Oh, shit, why don't we have that there? Although I will say this. I got a commemorative aluminum bottle for the Suzuka 8 Hours that had just finished up recently. And as I was telling Graham, please do not let this race finish as weird as this one. Thankfully, please. it didn't. Thankfully, it did not. Um, small spoiler... It was pretty much a walkover from one team from pretty much the end of the second hour all the way to the checkered flag. Goody. More on that in a bit. I mean, but if there's one thing you, you did share a lot on our Discord, because you even made your own little separate uh, home from home Suzuka Adventures in our supporters club um, for those Patreon backers out there that, uh, that uh, back us at that level. I mean, you did a lot of car spotting out there. What were some of your favorites? Oh, you my God. So... Of all the favorites, I got to see... Well, first, there was the Motorsports Festival at Aeon Mall Suzuka. This is where we had the parade of all the cars that were going to be in the race. I'm not going to talk about those cars. I just want to talk about the two R32 Skylines, including one that was parked next to an R35. That's the newer model. I saw at least one Honda Beat, one Suzuki Cappuccino, and one Honda S60. Um, I did see an R34 Skyline, I believe it was Friday or Saturday night on the way back from the circuit. Mm. Um, there was a car Beautiful. shop that we passed um, on the way between Yokeichi and Suzuka that had a Lotus Esprit V8, and that became pretty much everybody oh. in the car. Yeah, that was between myself, Graham, and Peter May, Pedro, one of DSC's photographers. That was our resident spanker chief out of that shop. But driving from the airport from Nagoya to Yokaichi, there was one really beautiful multi-level classic race car shop that I wish I'd gotten a photo of because it was something spectacular. And those were all just really the cars we saw on track. Also, my first time seeing anything French made because those don't exist in America. So I got to see my first Citroen C6 and Renault Twingo. Consider that exotic. <laughs> That is the most interesting a, a Renault Twingo will ever sound, ever. It's like, oh, they found a Renault Twingo in Japan. It was great. <laughs> also, given it's Japan, you, you got to talk to us about the food. Um, 
So I'll tell you, I did not touch any sushi. I'll tell you what I did uh, have. Um, katsu curry. That's curry and rice, sometimes with pork or chicken cutlets. Very good. Don't make the mistake I did. Go to Coco Ichiban, and this is a curry house. We went there, I believe it was the Sunday after the race had wrapped up. It was myself, Graham, and Peter. We all piled in this curry house. And you can get your curry mild, regular, or you can get it five different levels of spicy. Now, for reference, Graham and Peter got it at spicy level two. Um, they consider that fairly hot. Now, granted, this is a dish that they've also had multiple times. I ordered level five, which is the... Oh, no. And I was already doing... Um, if you've ever seen Shaquille O'Neal do the one chip challenge, just, oh, no. just starting off like, this don't phase me. We ride and die uh, together. And then, and then all of a sudden you start coughing and then you're just like, I'm not making a face. I'm just coughing. But see, here's the thing. The level five is the spiciest that you can order if you are a first time customer, because there are levels six through 10 that you can only eat if you finished an entire plate of at least a level five. Oh, no. So in other words, you basically became like a slightly similar version of Adam Richmond for Man vs. Food. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much, oh, yes. Oh, dear God. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Also, I, I do find it hilarious that within the first day of the trip, myself and Grandma decided, right, we're not going to be those Westerners coming to Japan and only eating McDonald's. We're going to stay off McDonald's for the rest of this trip. And wouldn't you know it, for Friday night for dessert and Saturday night out for dinner, where do we end up? That's right, the motherfucking McDonald's at Yokaichi Station, which, by the of way, course. was playing Old Lang Syne to tell everybody that we're closing in just a few minutes, please get the hell out of our store. <laughs> I'm going to assume in like, the most polite manner possible to, like, to basically to get the fuck out. Oh, no. Basically. basically, yes. Everybody was very, very polite. Have I mentioned that, yes, pachinko in Japan is real? I know everybody that's like fan of classic video games hates pachinko now. Thanks, Konami. <laughs> uh, but Hashtag fuck Konami. <laughs> Hashtag fuck Konami indeed. <laughs> but uh, to give you an idea of how... I, I want to say the pachinko parlor that was like two blocks away from our hotel was as big as our hotel. <laughs> really? It took up an entire street block. Fucking hell. Was was there any Metal Gear Solid themed ones in there? You know, Buddy, the I, I don't know if I stepped into that, but I will say this. We did go inside AML Suzuka and we played uh, Sega's uh, Super GT license game World Drivers Championship. Um, pretty, pretty good. And I've got to say, because they had, uh, Okayama International Circuit, the former TI Circuit Aida, home of the Pacific F1 Grand Prix, um, you surprisingly have to pay attention to your breakpoints for an arcade-style racing game. Like, you cannot just chuck it, drop it into first, and then kick, and then just power slide your way through every corner like it's Daytona USA. You have to take some care and consideration. Also, you mean you can't just yeet it into the apex and just shift into third and then go back into fourth again? Well, <laughs> well, yes, you could, but you wouldn't be really good at it. Is the thing that I'm trying to get at. Yeah. And yeah. I also want to say, like, on the first day that I was there, because 
I was massively jet lagged and I was up super, super early. I found really the happiest place in downtown Yokaichi at Suwa Park and Shrine. Uh, very old Japanese shrine with a lovely park. And if you get up, there's like a little cliff over the top overlooking the entire park and it's just such a beautiful sight especially at six o'clock in the morning and i was surprised at how much sunlight there was at six o'clock in the morning because i'm used to it being pitch black at this time of day in america no it's a uk thing as well in the summer mum. so you, the sun will come up at about 5 30 in the morning here i would know whenever, whenever i got to get up for work and then i got to do a morning shift i know exactly how that feels it's like oh sun's out okay <laughs> we'll go with that oh man Oh, so I guess y'all want to know how the circuit was like itself. Oh, yeah. Please do. Met all my expectations. Um, I got to ride the big wheel up on Friday night oh, practice. The big wheel. You could see the entire track on a good day. Even when it was raining, it was night out and, it, and the visibility was crappy. You could see the entire east end of the circuit from the exit of the Triangle Chicane all the way through the S-curves. Um, beautiful. Friend of, uh, friend of the show, Chancellor Sam, uh, took, me to, uh, took me up the big wheel, which was very nice of him. And then we walked over to, uh, to the end of the S's. And what I now know is Gyakubank Curve. That would be the final right-hander before Dunlop Corner, uh, just to oh, see yes. how all the cars were hooking up. Um, in the wet, and it was a delight to see. I got, as this was my first time covering a race as a member of the press, I was just amazed at how how much was there. We got to see the cars unloading in Wednesday and Thursday. Um, of course, I got to speak with a lot of people. I have a lot of people to thank, and especially not only Graham and Peter as well, but also... KCMG and in particular uh, Christina VR, who helped basically structure the whole weekend between interviews, spending time in the garage with a top class organization with some really, really good people. Some of the interviews you may already be able to find on Daily Sports Car, others you may be able to read in the days and weeks to come. Um, so I thank them a lot for that. And the race itself was... Uh, it was it was pretty fun. I wouldn't say it was the most bonkers and insane race. Like, yeah, you had one major contender wiped out in the first 90 minutes after being swept up in somebody else's wreck. And yes, Audi Sports Team WRT pretty much laid the fucking hammer to the entire field for the for three quarters of the race. It was still a good time. Um, getting to meet everybody, getting to meet a lot of the drivers, a lot of the press people. Uh, for the first time, it was actually funny because some of the uh, some of the Japanese actually noticed my blue hair, and I gained the nickname Miku, as in Hatsune Miku, because of that. Oh, of course. <laughs> I believe uh, Sam brilliant. also said I was referred to as Hatsune O'Connell. Oh wow, that's brilliant! <laughs> oh my gosh! But one thing that really surprised me as well was also you know the sweltering heat and humidity. Because, yeah, it was just as humid as it is in the deep south in the United States. And while the temperatures may be a touch lower, keep in mind, air conditioning is not that prevalent here. 
Oh god. So now like so now from first hand living experience, I know what a UK heat wave is like. It's not good. Oh yeah. I was sweating through everything and the only reprieve I got through all that heat and humidity was the one day where it fucking rained so much that it bled through my shoes. Oh. Oh lordy. Yeah. That is uh that is brutal. That does that is not sound fun. Just some <laughs> other notes. Mika Hakkinen was the bell of the ball. He had fans swarming all around him. Nick Cassidy did a full 360 spin, crashed head-on into the sponge barriers at 130R. The car went up. The car got on top the, of the barrier. And he drove it back to the garage, and they finished the race. Hmm? Yes. Also, in the last half hour... And I'm not just saying that because the team sponsored me, but the number 35 Nissan of Sugiya Matsuda, Katsuma Sachio, and Josh Burden, who are all really awesome people to talk to. That car was in the wars for pretty much the entire last half hour. First with a Bentley, and then with the other of the European-supported Audi cars. It was it was a very good time. Um, there are a lot of things that I regret. Like, I regret having such travel anxiety. I regret my, my shoulder was messed up that it didn't bring the right sunscreen, that, you know, maybe there were some more things that I would have been able to do in Japan if I had the time to do so. There were some people that I still wish I'd gotten to talk to, still some people that I wish I'd gotten to approach. But would I, do I regret any of that? Not a chance. This was, this was amazing. Um, I wouldn't trade that in for the world, honestly. Oh man, I'm telling you, it's it's as a guy that was fortunate enough to go to Brno last year for MotoGP, something that was always on my bucket list. Um, don't get me wrong, I like I didn't have my parents to fly out with, like we had all my other holidays with. It was just me and my brother Ryan, um, and I have the exact same level of anxiety over traveling. Like, because when you travel on planes, anyone will tell you this. It's like. There's a thousand things that can go wrong, and there's not very many things that, that can go right. And you, you brick it. And I, I was stranded at, at Bruno's airport for like an hour waiting for the taxi to pick us up. And trust me, like I was shaking by the time we were finally picked up. Well, so I know exactly how that feels. But um, I know the exact same feeling about not being able to see much of the town because we were just at the track for three or three or, three or four days or what have you. But... It was awesome, and I'm really, really glad you you had an amazing time, RJ. And you know, you did us proud out there, buddy. And uh, you know, thank you. We're very proud to have you here. You know, thank you so much. And I gotta say, the haul I got was pretty impressive. A few magazines, mm. a few new shirts, a new phone case, and of course, two new cars that are now sitting at my work desk, which I feel like I've come back to way too damn early. It's always the way. You just want, you, you always want one more day off. And, that, and it's, it's, it's always one day less than you're hoping for when, when it comes to reality, and that sucks. I know that there will be people who decry the fact that the Suzuka 10 hours was reformatted because when I first got in the sport, it was Super GT's signature race. And, you know, being a Blancpain GT special event maybe it's not going to feel the same but to me that event is always going to be special because it was the first time i ever ventured out into the world and was able to see the race from a much different perspective um 
from the real uh, from the perspective of being a member of the press roaming the paddock being able to talk to the people involved um that's why this one's going to be special to me and I, i do hope i get a chance to come back because this track is special the race has a lot of history into it and i just i enjoy the experience of being there and i would definitely do it again in a heartbeat Congratulations, man. I'm glad you've had an amazing time out there. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest about the uh, about the trip before we move on? So I'm just glad I didn't miss anything important in any sports news as I put on my Andrew Luck jersey and take a sip out of my Barry oh. FC coffee mug. Oh. <laughs> what oh, the dear. fuck happened? Everything, everything happened. Andrew Luck wasn't about this football life no more after getting, after basically having every part of his body ripped out at the age of 29. Yeah, and apparently there's some football clubs that are in financial trouble. That's no good. Yeah, Barry FC is dead. One of the founding fathers of the original football league back in the 18, I think it's the 1870s. Um, they collapsed and were booted out of the uh, English football league yesterday after being unable to prove to the league that they were financially viable to continue running as a football club and it's very sad um like it if you're a fan of football you should not be celebrating this in the slightest a lot i mean it was i don't want to be too just dis- i don't want to be too far off subject because it's not really about this but sky sports news should be ashamed of themselves for having a fucking countdown clock on their live broadcast counting down the minutes and seconds until they were booted out of the league um, and one other, and another club that I actually, I can actually recognize, Bolton Wanderers. They've only got another two weeks left. Yeah, apparently though they do have a, a takeover bidding coming, so they might still be saved. But yeah, they were given a two-week extension to basically, you know, sort out your insolvencies or you're getting kicked out too. Basically, now, like I said, very, very evaporating is very, very sad. However, um, this like the EFL on the football league itself has ha- definitely has some blood on its hands um, after essentially having a ridiculously dumb and I quote fit and proper persons test to try and prove someone is financially able to run a football club and it's basically a giant joke. It's not the first time a club's come, come under severe financial pressure. Um, Coventry has, has had the near miss. Leighton Orient very nearly went down, went, went completely down and out a couple of years ago. They are under a lot of pressure. Um, they were able to just about pick themselves out of out of a hole. Um, so they're not the only ones. There's there's numerous clubs out there that financially are struggling hard at the moment. And uh, yeah, the EFL lets incompetent people buy and own these football clubs, and then when they uh. When they inevitably screw up, they wash their hands of them, and that's not healthy at all. And it sucks. So, on behalf of everyone here, M101 in the football community, like my condolences to all of the Berry FC fans out there, because that's uh, that's an awful, awful thing yeah. to happen to the sport in general. Um, you know, and I, I hope everyone that's inevitably going to lose out on on their jobs, you know, can land yeah. on their feet, because uh, that's fucking brutal yeah, to say the least that is bad i did hear about the ben stokes 135 oh good lord um happened as i was yeah, sleeping it, by the way <laughs> of course because you know the americans are back in time but yeah day four of the third ashes test and uh 
England, who were looking comfortable in chasing 359 to uh, win the third test, um, which would have been a, a national record. England have never chased that down in a test before. Um, they were looking solid going into day four. I think there was something like 157 for three, and then their captain, Joe Root, gets uh, caught out spectacularly by uh, one of the main sandpaper offenders, David Warner, um, <laughs> early, on in, early on in the day. And everyone's like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I was, like, following along in, like, the days before this. I'm just like, oh, no, England's not going to have a good time at this. Yeah, uh, you just, you could, like, that was okay, because, like, Johnny Bairstow had come out, one of our heroes from the World Cup team. Um, we had a brilliant World Cup, Johnny Bairstow. Made the team of the tournament. Um, Bairstow came out. He got about 35 off about as many balls. It was going along nicely. Then he edged. Off, off the slip, and then he was gone as well, and then the tail just collapsed around Ben Stokes. It was, you know, Bairstow was out quickly, Butler was caught out in a stupid run out, and uh, next thing you know, we're seven down, like, woke, like, like, like Wokes comes out, Wokes um, chips uh, to, uh, to uh, Travis Head, and he's out for one. Um, in comes the the reigning hero of the day, Joffre Archer. Um, smashes a couple of fours like a true West Indian. <laughs> Tries to hit their lead spinner, Nathan Lyon, for six. Um, over to deep square, and it's caught on the boundary, so he's out. They're eight down. Broad second ball is bold LBW. They're nine down. They're down to Ben Stokes, who has survived... Something like 120 balls, and he's got like 35 to, to his to his name. He's just been being he's had, he's had to play defensive to protect his ricket the entire time. Um, is now out there with Jack Leach. Now Jack Leach is already a bit of a cult hero in the England team because he had 92 against Ireland in a previous Test match, which for a bowler, a spin bowler who's batting at the bottom of the order, is ridiculous. That just doesn't happen. It's only happened six times in the history of cricket where a night watchman, something we call a guy that basically comes in at the end of a day to defend and not lose another cheap wicket, has gone on to score anything near 100. It's ridiculous. But uh, Ben Stokes and Leach put on a 76-run partnership for the last wicket. Ben Stokes scored 75 of those runs. <laughs> it was insane. Good <laughs> He was smashing boundaries left, right, and centre, fours and sixes. It re- he had eight sixes in his innings, which for a test innings is ridiculous. You normally expect that in the shorter formats of the game, but he was smashing everybody for six. He was ridiculously aggressive. Just his dingers last- left and right is essentially yeah. what I get the impression of. That's what it was. It, he scored 74 runs off his last 42 balls, Jesus. which is just... Which is just insane. That, like that is that's T Twenty level scoring. That strike rate is in 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 a test. It's unthinkable to have a te- to have a strike rate of that window of something like like one hundred and seventy five as a strike rate. It's insane. Um, for those guys who don't know, strike rate means no, basically number of runs per hundred balls, basically, um, and the rate that would be if you extrapolated it out over a hundred. But yeah, it's there was a couple of very very close moments in there. Um, that he was he was dropped um, by uh, Marcus Harris um, with about 40 runs to go. Um, he th- there was a very very close run out 
um, when like England needed two runs to win. This was like the closest they could get where they could still lose. They needed two to win, and Leach has ran about six meters off his crease. And there's a risk of a run out, and the spinner who's at the stumps, Nathan Lyon, drops the ball, and every England fan immediately shits themselves. Um, you're like, no, 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 no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and Leach somehow survives, and he scored the tie-in run. He had to because he had to face, I think, 19 deliveries, and the 18th delivery, and the last one he faced. He, 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 he put it down safely. He got a single that basically tied the game. So England couldn't lose. And then Stokes smashes one more four to square to win the test. He had 135 not out. Um, and hence why you might have seen the number 135 throw around as uh, references um, <laughs> on, on social medias, including our own Twitter account. <clears throat> um, I don't know who posted that to be honest with you <laughs> but um, England absolutely lost their mind it's one of the greatest tested innings ever seen and everyone in England lost their shit cricket is back everybody basically after years of complaining about you know how the shorter formats have taken over and the games on Sky these days on and they're not on free to air TV like the good old days um, it was incredible to watch like there are people now that are pushing for Ben Stokes to be knighted, which given he almost had his career for England end when he punched out two guys outside of a nightclub and uh, lost his spot in the team for a little while, which, by the way, like he he really got a, a, a bad rap for that, given that uh, the guys he was defending was was uh, were getting attacked from a homophobic standpoint, and Stokes, and Stokes defended them. I've I've always said from day one, Stokes got a bad rap for that. He didn't deserve, quite frankly, because uh, he was defending two people that were being abused for their sexual preference, which is completely terrible. Um, yeah. So Stokes had to claw his way back into the team. He was already a hero for the World Cup for England when he won the World Cup. Oh there Jesus, on, yeah, during the Super Over. And uh, he's basically had two ridiculous, historically brilliant innings for England um, in the last six weeks. <laughs> um, it was so crazy that Paddy Power, who my, my current employers, actually paid out early on Stokes to win Sports Personality of the Year. Oh my god! <laughs> he's now one to four to win that now. Like it, it was all, he was already heavy favourite before the Ashes started. It's now in the bag. There's no way in hell Stokes doesn't win it for England. Now. You know what I just Lewis realized? One, yeah, uh, yeah. one observation that I, I just want to make a mm. quick few observations. You know what's weird? Is that by the time I got to see one of the teams bring out an actual Ferrari F40 to the garage, I barely mm. even noticed it was a Ferrari F40. It didn't even register with me until it was just like, that's a Ferrari F40. <laughs> and somehow right. that was not the not loudest car that? there because... They had an official car that was a Pagani Zonda R. Oh, rest in peace, your eardrums. Yeah, I was listening to something circulating around, and I was realizing, like, what the fuck is this, and why is it so loud? Oh, that's that's a Pagani Zonda R. And it's definitely... Oh. Yeah. Kind of famously appeared on Top Gear when Clarkson said, "Eh, also kind of need to buy your own track, because it breaks all the noise limits in the UK. It does indeed. Yeah. Also, a lot more Cadillac Escalades than I really imagined there being in the first wow. place. Um, Aquarius, and, Aquarius and Bacari Sweat are very good, uh, refreshing drinks, especially on hot days like this. 
And if you've never seen the rear diffuser slash exhaust of the Lotus Evora mother chassis that was the only GT300 car in a race of GT3s, you owe it to yourself to do so because that thing is fucking loud. When I say that thing is fucking loud, I mean it makes a Corvette sound quiet. And there was an actual Corvette in the race for reference. Fellas, should we talk some bikes? Yes, let's do it. Yeah, after this quick break, uh, we'll be back to talk about MotoGP at a British Grand Prix, and it was a, a rather brilliant weekend, if I do say so myself. Because we actually got the race to go on! That helps. One car to go, Marquez versus Rins! Here we go then, around the final corner! Rins is going to have another look! Surely not around the He's got the chance! He's got the He's got it! He's got it! He's And yes, as RJ alluded to, we actually got a full race weekend this time round. Woo! Woo! Hooray! Awesome! Um, yeah, the new surface uh, was was put into play. They, the, the whole track was uh, re- was resurfaced, and uh, it showed. Lap records got obliterated left, right, and center all weekend long. I think the average was about 1.6 seconds. Damn, that's fast. Yeah, we're about 1.2 seconds faster compared to the same conditions two years ago. Um, we, we, we'll forget what happened last year. Um, but yeah, we, like, we were going crazy two years ago when Marcos did the first ever sub-two-minute lap of the joint. We were going deep into the 58s um, in, uh, in qualifying, for instance, um, on Saturday. Mark Marquez on pole by another scintillating four-tenths of a second over the field. Damn. Um, this is going to be my first exposure to the race because, again, locked so much into Suzuka, I kind of tuned out of everything else. So I'm really excited to hear all the juicy details of this. Oh, this 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 was this was fun. This was fun. Take it from me on this one. Yeah, Marquez on pole by four tenths of a second from. Wait, that's Valentino Rossi's name in second place, huh? <laughs> the rare top qualifying effort from Valentino. Yeah, Valentino put up put in a stonker of a lap. It was six thousandths faster than uh, Jack Miller. Those three, were, like the top three, were all running line astern of each other during their last runs in Q2. And uh, yeah, fans were a bit pissy about this on social media. It's about, oh no, Marquez is following somebody. Like, how dare he? And I'm like, are you guys new to MotoGP qualifying? <laughs> <laughs> What else is new? Like, seriously. Um, I don't know why people were... Like, people were getting mad about it because it was 93 draft in 46. Just just throwing that where, out there. Where the yellow guard didn't get first. Yeah, it, it, it happens, you know. But yeah, like I said, Marquez on the front row from Valentino Rossi, Jack Miller, Fabio Quattararo, who had been super fast in the practice sessions all weekend long, only could come through in fourth. He had some pneumatic problems with, with his original... Uh, with his original bike, had to switch to his backup bike for Q2. Still put in a lap that was good enough for fourth ahead of Alex Rins and Maverick Vinales on row two. Also, I have to point this out. I don't normally talk about this in qualifying sessions when it comes to segments on this show. We had a tie for sixth between Vinales and Davizioso. Just in case you're curious, to break the tie, first man over the line gets the highest spot. So uh, Maverick got uh, got the got, well, got the sixth place on the... And that was actually for a, a row. So Maverick was sixth. Duffy had to start the race on row three. Remember that it would become important later. Um, <laughs> oh, it got him. really, really important. Uh, yes. yes, the other Hareth ninety-seven special. Oh, oh. yeah. Um, 
So yeah, the we we, we fast forward to, to uh, Sunday afternoon, 1 p.m. British time rather than 1 p.m. local time because hey, they had to push the Moto 2 race to the end because that's a Silverstone tradition. They want to keep it on the same window for the uh, continental fans on um, in Europe and whatnot. So uh, it's a different order. You get Moto 3 first, then Moto. Uh, GP in the middle, then Moto 2 at the end. Normally it goes up in uh, ascending order. But uh, the British Grand Prix is go, and oh my god, Fabio is down, and oh my god, Dovi's gone flying. Um, oh no. That was, that was, was turn so one. Fabio Quattararo, low sides into turn one. The bike slides out underneath him, and it completely collects. Andrea De Vizioso, who goes flying off the front of his bike. He was a good six, seven feet in the air. Um, yes, and- he, he ramped a bike off another bike like it was Fast and Furious 9. Yeah, it, it wasn't pretty. Um, it was like something out of Hobbs and Shaw, quite frankly. Um, it was nasty. Both guys that both guys were given were, were given deep trips to the medical center. Um, uh- Fabio, Fabio was like, both riders have since been... Deemed to be okay. Thankfully, Dovi did suffer a concussion. Yeah, Dovi um, basically landed on his head. He did. He was. He was a. It was. If anyone ever remembers Michele Piro's horrifying practice crash at Mugello a couple of years ago, um, it was very similar to that. He landed on the back of his neck. It, it could have been very, very nasty indeed. Um, thankfully, just a concussion for Dovi in the grand scheme of things. He was he was he was sent to hospital for to give, he was given a once over. He was discharged later on that evening. Even taking pictures with some of the fans in the hospital, like a good lad. Um, but uh, thankfully, both guys okay as a result of a very very nasty lap one incident. I mean, Dovi's bike caught fire as he was flipped off of it. Um, it was a, a nasty one to uh, to say the least. But. Uh, Thankfully, um, both guys, okay. Um, um, it, it could have been very, very nasty indeed. Um, the only other really big significant um, incident that happened in the early stages was uh, also a bit of insubordination. King, get your mans. Johan Zarco, um, what was he playing at? Um, you know, dudes do desperate things when they don't have jobs next year. <laughs> like, it, I... Does does Johan realise he's meant to be putting himself in the shop window for next year, given that there's virtually no GP seats left? <laughs> no, he takes a completely different line through Village, and he ends up completely collecting Miguel Oliveira, putting them both out in the, at mid-distance. Um, Johan, the fuck are you doing? Um, he's doing something strange for a piece of change of contracts for 2020. <laughs> Indeed, he. I, I believe he's been given a free place grid penalty for the next round due to uh, dangerous riding, basically. So uh, Zarko will have a. He'll probably be starting from the back of the grid next time round. Yeah, as Vic points out, remember when Zarko was the next big thing on a Yamaha two years ago? Man, have I things changed. That. KTM does things to people. Hi, it Katie. does do things. Yeah, uh, and it it turned into kind of a strange. Kind of quiet race for the first half, of, uh, uh, because again, two of the biggest contenders, Quattararo, who was again super fast all weekend, was no longer there. Um, and well, Dovi, who has always gone well around here, won here two years ago, the last time he had a race at Silverstone. They weren't there, but it quickly became a two horse race between, surprise, surprise, Mark Marquez. And wait, that's Alex Rins' music. <laughs> oh, <laughs> shit. Alex Rins came to play, and these two had a fantastic fight all race long. Rins tried a couple of early moves in the middle distance of the race, couldn't stay ahead of Marquez. It was 
I have to say, in general, as I talk about this race in general, this was a fantastic example of the differences between manufacturers' bikes in GP. Um, they Both of these guys were stronger in different areas of the track. It was fantastic. Suzuki tends to have a bike that turns very, very well. Again, remember that. It becomes important later. Um... It's not the fastest bike in a straight line, but they're not giving up as much top end as they were in previous years. They turn very quickly, a very agile chassis. It's it's, it's why Maverick Vinales was so good on that bike a couple of years ago. I was about to uh, mention their first win and their return came here a couple of years yeah. ago. Indeed, 2016, Maverick Vinales' first top flight victory was, and Suzuki's first victory when they came back to GP was at this very track three years ago. And uh, Rins was on was on the warpath on this one, and, and it got more and more... Uh, Marquez was seemingly in control of the race. He was trying relentlessly to try and break the toe from Rins and, you know, try and take off on his own. Couldn't quite pull it off. Um, and it, it boiled down to a very aggressive last couple of laps. Rins very nearly lost it, um, trying to take the lead of three to go. He had to he lost a lot of time on the on what is now the F1 home straight. Um, he was able to recover. He tried like Marquez tried letting Rins through as well to lead the to lead the charge and you know, beat each other out. It was a very old school one on one dogfight. If anyone's ever watched some of like the 2003, 2004 races when it was like you know, Valentino Rossi versus, like, Sete Gibbonau or Max Biaggi. Um, it, it, very much that vibe with the duel. Yeah, very much. Again, like, tactically, they were stronger in different areas. Marquez having the brute force of the Honda, having a lot more top-end chatter um, and top-end and acceleration and top speed, and he was able to counter a lot of what Rins threw at him <laughs> when it came to passing moves. It was an incredible final lap. Um, Marquez was trying every defensive maneuver in the book, to try and keep Rins behind him. He did not give Rins an inch until the final corner. And this was also with Maverick Vinales in third. He did his old Maverick trick of uh, being very slow at the start, but you know gaining in speed in the second half of the race. And if this race was one lap longer, maybe Maverick could have stolen this one. But uh, it wasn't to be. But coming out of the final corner, Marcus takes a very defensive, very narrow line coming out of the final corner. And like... He goes very narrow on the apex, going down to what the old, you know, where the old straight is and now where the start-finish line is. Rins takes a wide-sweeping line on that last right-hander, is able to kick the bike out underneath, inside Marquez, and he beats him over the line by 13 thousandths of a second. While staring uh, at him. If you see the photo finish, because there was a photo finish... Rins is staring at Marquez as he goes over the line. Now this is Oh, that's fucking gangster. It was gangster, because let's not forget, Alex Rins hates Mark Marquez. Like, <laughs> I'm I'm not exaggerating here. Rins hates the Marquez family. Like like based off of what happened, like him staring down Marquez, the moment he the moment they crossed the line, he knew he won, and he celebrated his ass up. Oh yeah, he went nuts. He knew he'd won it. He, he knew. He he looked at Marquez as he was going over the line. And like I said, Rins hates the Marquez family. It boils back to his time in Moto Three when Alex Marquez was his teammate, and Marquez was apparently getting the rub of the green during their time together at Estrada Galicia. 
and Rins basically vowed, I will never have Marquez as a teammate again. <laughs> basically, him or his brother. So, Rins can't stand the Marquez family. So, this one was extra sweet. His second top flight victory after winning at Cota earlier this season, breaking Marquez's historic unbeaten run at that circuit. And now he's beating him one-on-one -on -one in a dogfight at Silverstone with one of the best last lap overtakes you'll see for a very, very long time. It was a masterpiece of a finish. I um, want to see this episode of Beef History in about three to five years. This sounds awesome. <laughs> oh, it'll be a fun one. It'll be a very fun one. It, he literally just went underneath him and scrubbed his nose off at Woodcut, and it was a fantastic, fantastic move. But if you're Mark Marquez... I mean, to be fair, Marquez was pissed after the race. I've never seen him so angry that he didn't win a race. He's normally very laid back and he's very accepting if he doesn't you know, he doesn't win a Grand Prix, if, you know, if he loses a dogfight. You know, he's normally very, you know, understanding and you, you know, can't win out. literally every single round in a year. <laughs> yeah, you can't, but he sure as hell will try. And like Marquez was pissed and I think there's gonna be some some hard discussions in that Honda camp because that's arguably the second race in a row where the rear tyre has let Marquez down right at the end of a race. Um, it happened in Austria. He spun that rear tyre up going into that final corner mere moments before Dovi basically bullied him at the apex on that final corner and just about got away with it because people forget there was contact between Dovi and Marquez at that final corner. That was not a clean pass from Dovi. Um, I suppose but you have to remember... Honda has reworked their engine this year trying to claw Ducati in in terms of straight line speed. Mm. And that aggressiveness in their engine has made it so that sometimes on corner exit it will just light the rear up. And that's what happened. And it hap it's happened again. Like, the rear tyre just had nothing left on, on, on that final lap. And Marquez said if he pushed any harder, he knows he would have crashed. That was the limit of what his... And he basically used too much rear tyre trying to break Alex Rins. Tactically, he got it just a little bit wrong, and it cost him, well, five points. But I don't think he'll be all that mad given Dovi failed to finish. But, uh, hey, I'll get to that in a minute. Championship standings real quick, and I'll give you a rundown of some of the other performances of the weekend. Alex Rins beating Marquez by, well, a nose, really. 13 thousandths of a second over the line. Maverick Vinales on the podium in third, just six temps behind. He spanked his teammate Valentino Rossi by 11 seconds. He was... It was the opposite of the usual Rossi you mm. know, signature. He qualified really well and had no race pace. Very, very odd. And, Ma and Maverick, to be fair, Maverick was pretty quick most of the weekend too. He's just been very solid this weekend, Maverick. But uh, yeah, way faster in race trim this time round. Valentino Rossi in fourth ahead of Frankie Morbidelli, which I think that's his best ever GP finish in fifth place for the uh, Petronas Yamaha team. There's a good result for Frankie. Um, very necessary given his struggles compared to the very exciting talent of Fabio. Um, Cal Crutchlo was not happy at that sixth place. Well, to be fair, is Cal ever happy? But uh, yeah, sixth place for Cal on the day. He was actually not at all impressed at finishing. Just to point out, uh, that is Morbidelli's joint best finish because he also ah. had fits at Assen and at Coda. Mm -hmm. Oh, fair enough. Didn't miss that one. Thanks for that, RJ. But um, yeah, like I said, Cal not happy finishing 19 seconds off the win at home. 
he was hoping for a podium finish. Uh, but, you know, we, so we got Grumpy Cal after the race. That's always fun. Um, he was ahead of Danilo Petrucci in 7th. Jack Miller in 8th. Paul Despagrove, another solid performance in 9th um, for the one sole remaining KTM. Doing um, the Lord's work on that bike. It is indeed, indeed. Andre Iannone in 10th for, for Grassini. Good result for the Aprilia boys for a leash there. Um, Francisco Bagnaia in 11th. Sylvain Gintoli. Ginters in 12th on the Suzuki wildcard. Good job for him. Um, filling in for the testing role this weekend after Joanne Mir sadly had to miss another round due to uh, the uh, Bruno testing horror crash that he had. Get well soon, Joanne. He'll probably be back next time. I believe out. it's confirmed he will run in the, the next test. Yeah, Masano. Yeah, quite right. So he'll be back for that. So I hope, hope he has a speedy one there. If he's siring the fish in 13th place, Jorge Lorenzo on his first race back after missing four rounds of that awful back injury he had at Aston. 14th place, 56 seconds off the win. I think we'll give him a pass for this one, given it was his first race back from a broken back. Ah, oh, poor guy. But, uh... Hopefully he finds his feet again properly soon. Carol Abraham rounding off the points in 15th place ahead of Tito Rabat and Takanakagami. As mentioned, five non-finishers. Dovi and Guattarara off the opening lap. Johan Zarco and Oliveira playing a French kiss um, with 12 to go. And Alicia Spagaro, whose bike died on him on the penultimate lap of the race. Oh. Championship standings as we go into the oh table. My God. We've got seven, we have seven rounds to go. Mark Marquez has a 78-point lead on, in the championship. He has He's doing it for three... Martin Truex Jr. We're done here, folks. Yeah, yes, he is. He has a three-race lead. Yeah. He could retire for three. Davi could win the next three, and it would not matter. Yeah, if he could take the flyaways off. That, that's what we're talking about here. There's a good chance he can, he can win the title at Mategi. Um, you know, which would be Honda's oh, home. If turf. he keeps up with this, he could win at the race before. Yeah, maybe even in Thailand. We'll have to wait and see. Um, but yeah, it's a 78 point lead. To put it into perspective, he has finished every race this season, bar the one and Kota, by finishing first or second. This is and ridiculous. There's nothing anyone can do. He has a very, very good chance of beating the all-time MotoGP points record that Jorge Lorenzo set in 2010. That was 383, I believe that was. Um, don't get me now? wrong, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's on 250. It's, it's a little bit unfair because there's one more round on the calendar now compared to 2010 because we have Thailand now. We didn't have that when Lorenzo set the record, so it's a little bit unfair. Uh, for uh, for Marquez on that one because he's got an extra round to play with, but there's a good chance that record falls. Yeah, he, um, he's as as Vic just put, Mr. Jonathan Ray has entered the chat. He's actually being more consistent than Jonathan Ray. And yeah, keep in mind, kind of a Lorenzo, Lorenzo did not Lorenzo finish every round that year in 2010. Marquez has one DNF in the bank. He a does. race he was dominating as well. Yeah, a race he was leading by three and a half seconds when he crashed. And let's and I just point out as well, he's got five second places this season. Four of those defeats have been by less than half a second. He he's been competitive every single round, bar maybe Assen, and that's about it, basically. Because Maverick won that by about four seconds, but that's about it. The it's gap no from longer. first to second is as big as the gap from second to seventh. Yeah, it's, it's, it's no it's longer a case of Marquez maximizing bad rounds. He doesn't have bad rounds anymore. 
Yeah, he's just he can win any given race on paper now. He'll be odds-on favourite every round on the calendar now, bar none. Simple as that. Dovizioso in second on 172. Alex Rins back up to third overall on 149 with that win, overtaking Danilo Petrucci on 145. Maverick back ahead of Valentino by two points. Maverick on 118, Valentino Rossi 116. Jack Miller on 94, ahead of Fabio Quattararo on 98. Cal Crutchlow on 88, and Frankie Morbidelli rounding off the top 10. He's finally pushed Pole out of the top 10. Sad face. With uh, 69 points. Nice. We have Paul Spagaro, 68. Um, before we get into other news, we'll, we'll quickly wrap up the, the intermediate rounds. Another very solid Moto2 race, by the way. Uh, again, this was... It, it kind of felt out of place, having Moto2 on at the end. And it was a great Moto2 race. It just didn't quite feel as fun with it in the last slot. Kind of weird. But uh, it was a race that uh, Binder was involved in. You know, very aggressive uh, passing. And he slides that goddamn bike everywhere. Um, but it was a very, very fun race to watch indeed. And it was won by Augusto Fernandez in the end. Taking his second win of the year. And his first since Assen. Um, beating Jorge Navarro by just under half a second. He followed him home ahead of Brad Binder. Who rounded off the podium in third place. Um, Remy Gardner in fourth, um, ahead of Tetsuya Nagashima in fifth. A great result for the 1XOX team there. The SAG team is, is if there's a most improved team award <laughs> um, later on in the year, then it certainly is going to the SAG team because uh, Remy Gardner and Tetsuya Nagashima have been excellent. Um, fifth and sixth, sorry, fourth and fifth, I should say, on the weekend there. And, and nice to see Nagashima back up there after him. After he was taken out in Austria a couple of mm -hmm. rounds ago. Fabio Di Antonio in sixth ahead of Lorenzo uh, Baldazzari, um, in seventh place. Um, we got uh, Thomas Luti for the Dynavolt team in eighth ahead of Luca Marini in ninth, and Savi Yerge in tenth ahead of Michael Aquona, Jorge Martin, Matteo Pasini, Marcel Schrotter, and Andrea Locatelli rounding off the points. Not, I guess you, I know you may be wondering, where's Alex Marquez's name and all of that? He Bindi. turned back into Alex Marquez. It had been a bit too long since Alex Marquez hit the gravel, and that's exactly what he did, unfortunately. God damn it, Alex, I thought we were over this. Um, as for any hometown hopes, sadly, both mainstay in Brits, or for two of the three anyway, um, didn't make the flag either. Sam Lowe's crashed on the final lap. Bradley Smith, who was filling in for Curry uh, Dampawi, the rain god himself, um, for the Patronus team. Uh, so we had Bradley Smith filling in as well for him, which was great to see him back on a Moto2 bike. He actually, I don't know if you guys heard this story, he had a bet with Cal Crutchlow. £10,000 said Bradley Smith could top a session at some point during the weekend. Sadly, didn't happen. Um, but uh, Bradley didn't. They had a DNF as well, and, and Jake Dixon was 23rd for the Angel Nieto team. So, not such a fun time for the uh, for the British hometown support out there. However, you know, despite everything, if anything, Fernandez winning was a not too bad scenario for the title. Marquez still has a 35 point lead. Well, that's concerned, but it is now a three-way tie in the chasing pack between Augusto Fernandez, Thomas Luti, and Jorge Navarro, all done 146 points each. Um, 
And Fernandez having the second place on countback. He has two wins to Lutis one and Navarro's nil. Um, Brad Binder in fifth on 125. He's a point ahead of Baldazari on 124. Marcel Schrotter on 116. Luca Marini on 108. Ennio Bastianini on 74. And rounding off the top 10, Fabio Di Antonio with 69. Nice. <coughs> Thank you. Um, Moto3, again, it's Moto3 at Silverstone. Do I need to tell you any more? You probably no. don't. It was it was 11 bikes covered by two seconds going over the line. Another fantastic scrap, but it was actually Marcos Ramirez who broke free on the final half a lap. Um, it, was a, it was a tremendous fight, particularly with the big three. Marcos Ramirez, Tony Arbolino, and Lorenzo Dalla Porta. The two Leopards were demonically late on the brakes. Um, it was a fantastic spectacle to watch. I don't know how some of these guys are making the apexes. It was ridiculous. Um, the Leopards tried a pincer movement, and Ramirez broke free on the last lap to win. Tony Arbolino continues his great run of form in second, and Lorenzo Dalla Porta, good for his championship campaign in third. I'm going to skip down to, to uh, number 44. Aaron Canet who was caught up and collected in a crash with Albert Arenas um, on, the, on the first corner with uh, 13 laps to go. Kanek got back on the bike and finished in 13th place. Damn! <clears throat> Just 12 seconds behind the winning bike. If there is an award for recovery of the year, it goes to Aaron Kanet. Jason, super- are you making notes? <laughs> That was a superhuman performance from Canet. Brilliant stuff to, you know, for the, for the sake of his championship, that's three points saved. That's you know he was that Canet was not at fault for the incident. He was taken out by Arenas, but Canet um, was able to recover and finish in the points in thirteenth place. Great job from him. Rest of the finishing positions real quick. Nicolo Antonetti fourth, Suzuki Suzuki in fifth, Suzaki in sixth, John McPhee, the hometown boy, in seventh. Um, confirmed he'll also be staying at Patronus for another year. There is Foggia in 8th, Sassina Vietti 9th, Ayagura 10th, Jamasia 11th. Still only 1.9 seconds off the win. Where does he finish? 11th. <laughs> of course. Darren Binder in 12th, the aforementioned Canet in 13th, Jeremy Alcoba in 14th, and Alonso Lopez rounding off the points in 15th. Um, championship standings real quick in Moto3 Lorenzo Dada Porter now has a 14 point lead over Aaron Canet Tony Arbolino third on 133, Antonelli fourth on 118 points and Marcos Ramirez now up to fifth place on 114 so yeah still 57 points covering the top four probably still a five way title fight there could be interesting it's looking like Dana Porter v Canet, but uh, Tony Arbolino is, is, is having a very good run of form that's uh, that's going to be one to keep an eye on going forward. But uh, as mentioned, a brilliant, brilliant weekend of MotoGP. Just before we move along, today, the uh, 2020 provisional calendar came out as well. And it's a, it, it's a groundbreaking calendar because we are looking at 20 MotoGP races for 2020. For the first time ever in history, I will give you guys a quick rundown. Boy, the these calendar. calendars are getting long. Yeah, we'll be coming back. To, <laughs> we'll be coming back to this later on for the F1 in a bit. But um, yes, uh, March eighth, the season will start in Qatar. So a very early start for MotoGP this year. Um, a week, be- actually, a week before the, the provisional F1 calendar. Believe it or not. Um, so they'll be starting there, March eighth. Then. Thailand moves up into the March 22nd slot two weeks later. So Thailand, which was down in uh, October before the flyaways, 
um, will now be in March instead, which is bad news for World Superbikes, having both their events back, basically back to back at at, uh, at uh, Buriram, which is a bit of a shitter for them. They're probably going to have to move it on the World Superbike calendar now, which is a bit of a bummer. But anyway, two weeks later, they head to the Circuit of the Americas in Austin, of course. Two Mark Marquez's his home race. Indeed, of course. Um, two weeks later, his other home race in Argentina uh, to, to Termas Rio del Hondo on April 19th. European season starts on May 3rd in Jerez. Mark Marquez's his home race. Kinda. Sort of. Um, two weeks later, we go to Le Mans on May 17th for that one. After Two weeks after that one, the Blue Ribbon events, we have uh, Mugello, May 31st. That's the first part of a back-to-back doubleheader with Catalonia at Barcelona. Also Mark Marquez's home race. Silence, RJ. <laughs> <laughs> two weeks after that, the Saxon Ring. Shut Mark up, Marquez's RJ. real home race. <laughs> June. <laughs> June. Mark Marquez's summer home race. Yeah, it, 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 it is beach hideaway. Um, yeah, June 21st. That's a doubleheader now with Assen. That'll be on June 28th. The brand new Kaimi Ring will debut on July 12th in the middle of the year. Um, that'll be the last race before a three-week summer break. They'll return on August 9th at Bruno. That's the first part of a doubleheader with Austria at the Red Bull Ring on August 16th. Uh, Silverstone, again, two weeks uh, like, you know, two, two weeks after that, August 30th. Then Misano on September 13th. Uh, October 4th, so we've actually got three weeks, I think, there between uh, Misano and Aragon, the, uh, the second to last of the European rounds. Then the triple header flyaway uh, rounds, October 18th at Suzuka, Followed by Philip Island on the 25th, and then November 1st at Sepang. Whoa, Suzuka's coming back on the MotoGP calendar. I missed something. Oh, <laughs> no, 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 no. That's Mategi, folks. My bad. Honda's home um, race. Honda's home race, Mategi. Um, yep, Philip Island, October 25th, Sepang, November 1st, and then the final round, the season finale at Valencia on November 15th. <laughs> A 20-round calendar for the first time, ladies and gentlemen. And it's set to get bigger because there are heavy rumors there'll be two more joining for a 22-race calendar in 2021. 22! Oh, man! 22! (laughs) Seems like the ideal number for any race series, right, guys? (laughs) Y'all like that crunch? Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. A lot of heavy uh, foreshadow in there. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a lot. Um, they, they've moved, for the record, they've moved Thailand up to uh, split, split up the flyaways a little bit. And hence why it's now in March rather than October. Um, and yeah, I, I'm personally of the camp that I already thought 19 was pushing it. 20 is really pushing it. 22 is ludicrous to me. Like, guys are already getting dinged up over 18-round seasons. I think guys are going to be riding seriously hurt and tired. Um, Yeah, we're going to have to start... We're going to have to bring back drop scores. Oh, God. Could you imagine Marquez's championship lead right now if we had drop scores? (laughs) (laughs) You'd be nearly 100 points clear. Um, But... uh, yeah, 20, point, 20 rounds next year. 22 is set for 2021. 
MotoGP now going deep into November, like the middle of November now, which is uh, strange. Just but, like I mean, it's, baseball, it's, another sport that plays way too many fucking games. Yeah, I I personally think 18 was perfect. I don't I don't see why you need it anymore. I don't like the fact that guys are already riding hurt by the time they get to the end of the season. They're already dinged up like football players would be in the NFL um, over injuries and... I think 20 and 22 is a bit... I was on, and you think of all the employees who basically won't be able to go home for most of the year. They should just get Greg Popovich to just sit out all of Yamaha's starters for some races. Just have yeah. them roll up with, like, reserve riders for, like, some of their drop rounds. <laughs> yeah, someone give Stefan Bradl a call. Um, or maybe Johan Zarco next year, who knows. Um... <laughs> But yeah, a 20-round MotoGP 2020 calendar set for next season. Have fun with that, fellas, quite frankly. But that'll do it for MotoGP. Go find all three of those races. They are all excellent in their own right. A great weekend of racing. Great to see Silverstone back to its best. When Um, we can actually race, Silverstone always delivers with MotoGP. It does, and and it, it's the best bike race on the calendar these days. Like it, it's within a few rounds, or like Silverstone as a track produces fantastic racing. It's hard to break free. It, it it's very fast. It's very flowing. There's a lot of places you can pass people. Um, <laughs> it, when it works, it it works beautifully. I love that discourse. Aggregate UK has left the chat. Very good. Uh, <laughs> see, for the very, record, very see, for the record, we think Silverstone is fairly rated as a bike track, as a car track. Nah. Well, there's only one person yeah. allowed to win there, otherwise everyone gets mad. Well, yeah, hell breaks you otherwise. Um, <laughs> in, after this quick musical interlude, we'll be back to talk about IndyCar and the Gateway 500. Up on turn number four for the time, final time. No better way to quiet your critics than to go to victory lane. Takuma Sato beats Ed Carpenter to the checkered flag. IndyCar, Gateway, and uh, last year was a great race, this year I think another great race, Uh, one that was a little bit all over the place, it it took a little while to find itself and get going, but uh, when it did King, my word, what a race did we get. Well, luckily we got through the first lap, A-OK, nobody ran into into each other. Um, about that. (laughs) <laughs> it becomes important later, Takuma Sato came as close to crashing as you can get without crashing. Pretty much. It was... He got hip-checked real hard by James Hinchcliffe. It, it was a nasty one. It, it could have been very, very nasty, but uh, thankfully, um, everybody relatively okay off of that one. But uh, we almost got Pocono 2. Between those two riders. With all the same players as well. Yeah, with the exact same three cars mentioned. going, And there was a five wide on the opening lap as well. And I'm like, no, no, no. This is a one and a quarter mile track. This is literally half the distance of Pocono. And it's in St. Louis in the middle of the summer. They don't know how to make pizza there. (laughs) 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 But you know what they do know how to make? Good-ass oval racing, and they know how to promote the shit out of this event. By sponsoring laps like we sadly didn't do this year. God damn uh, it! 
Lap 101, formerly presented by No, Motorsport. it's still presented by Motorsport 101 in our hearts and in our minds forever. So shall it be written. So shall it be done. <laughs> they didn't sell the rights to nobody else, so our name's still on it, goddammit. Yep. And it was... It was a late caution um, um, that ended on lap 204 that really put the cat amongst the pigeons here. And wait. Oh, Sebastian. <laughs> oh, King, what's up with your other mans? So, for most of the race, for the majority of the race distance up to this point, the Dale Coin cars were performing extremely well. Santino Ferrucci was out in front. Usually uh, followed usually one car or a couple cars behind by Sebastian Bourdais. They both come into pit at the same time on their outlap. Um, Sebastian, what are you doing at turn four, Sebastian? No, he just got up in the marbles <laughs> and once he hit, once he smacked the right rear on the wall, broke the suspension, and that, as they say, was that. Yeah, once you're in the marbles at Gateway, there's no going back. Um, basically, ask Will Power. Another guy Ooh. that uh, put it in the wall, and as a result of that, uh, he was out of the race. Early Oval on Master as well. Will Power, Oval yeah. Master Will Power, who just won on an oval. Well, we call it an oval last week. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, on lap fifty-two, that uh, that ended his day early. Spencer Piggott put it in the wall earlier, and uh, he had another caution as well. So we had five in total, but it was the last one on lap two hundred four that led to a. 44 laps dash for the cash and uh <laughs> wait that's Takuma Sato's music <laughs> he was running last yes now Sato <laughs> Takuma Sato is redeemed Takuma, <laughs> Takuma who boxed under green and was a lap down got his lap back during that final caution and then leaped to the front of the queue and he had to hold off a very hard charge in... Wait, that said Carpenter's music! Dad is oh, back! Oh, no, at the snow, <laughs> at the start of the stint, and for most of the stint, it was a hard-charging Tony Kanan for AJ Foyt! Why are all the olds here? Yes, I believe this was the first ever IndyCar podium where the average age was more than 40. 41 <laughs> and one-thirds. That's how old this podium was. I want to say... The future is yesterday, yeah. young man. I want to <laughs> say... yesterday. I want to say 30, like, 38-year-old Ed Carpenter was the youngest man on the podium here. <sighs> yep. Because I think Takuma, I want to say, is 40, and then I think Tony Kanan, I think, is 43? <sighs> Kanan turns Something 45 like... this year. Sato's already Jesus. 42. Again, we forget how yeah, old Takuma Sato's Sato 42. is. He is getting better with age, in some regards. Yeah, he's for the most part. Yeah, I, for I, the most part. I find it amazing that at this point, Takuma Sato is now a multiple race winner for the season and is now like running in the thick end of the championship for two years in he's, a row. He's really the best of the rest. Yeah, this year in the championship. Yeah, you, you look at all the guys who we don't normally establish with title fights, and uh, yeah, Takuma is the best of the rest in P six right now. So. Yeah, two wins for the year already. He's having an excellent season, even despite uh, maybe burning some more of his goodwill along the way. But uh, it was Ed, it was the Kumasato that won ahead of Ed Carpenter by three hundredths of a second. Just held over him the off. line. Yeah. 
Carpenter got a terrific run off the final turn, and he made it a photo finish. It was close. Yeah, Carpenter dug deep into his bag of oval tricks and nearly stole it on the line there. Uh, uh, Ed Carpenter in second place. Tony Kanaan, who, as mentioned, was harassing Sato for a good chunk of that race. He was actually mad he didn't win the damn thing after the race on the radio. But Tony Kanaan and AJ Foyt's first podium of the season in third. An excellent result. First oval podium for AJ Foyt since 2002. Jesus! What? 17 years? I thought it was more impressive that that was Kanan's first podium since Texas in 2017. It's been a long time coming. Holy shit. And fourth... Everybody's favorite driver, Santino Ferrucci, in fourth. Another excellent oval drive from the oven. He is my favorite driver. I mean, this this contract says that he has to be. Yeah. My, yeah. my check from Clydell just cleared, by the way. Um, it, was, <laughs> um, it was a good race. <clears throat> A, a, an excellent performance from a guy that totally isn't getting paid off to have all the commentators wax lyrical on him in the commentary during a race. Yeah, but just, not just, without last lap controversy. Oh. And other other H.A. Foy Enterprises fun fact, this is their most recent podium period since Takuma Sato got second in Detroit Race 2 in 2015. Jesus. I remember that, yeah. <laughs> oh, Jesus, Jesus. Christ. Didn't Could... Bourdais win that race? Uh. I'm yeah. surprised that Takuma Sato, so slight of frame that he is, his back didn't give out from carrying A.J. Floyd Enterprises all those years. That was a hard time for him. <laughs> that was a hard time. So yeah, Santino, the reason we, we actually we dug a little deeper and we found out that basically the reason why that everyone that all the commentary guys in NBC are talking about how great this guy is behind the wheel. It's because his dad's been feeding them sponsor money. Uh, I'd say it's it's a bit more complicated than that. Go on, because King. I, I I don't know if it's specifically because of this, but Clydale Manufacturing do buy ads on the IndyCar series broadcast. <clears throat> if that affects their commentary, I don't know. It could be coincidental. We don't know. <laughs> <clears throat> They're telling me if Zachary Clayman and DeMello was still in that car, they'd be worshipping him. I'd take and it. And his bad shoes. <laughs> I, think he's been, I think he's sponsored by Big Brawler brand these days. I wonder what happened to them. Oh, um, no. <laughs> um, as, as Cam mentioned, though, there was some, some late controversy on the final lap of the race. It's a good thing uh, this wouldn't have any championship implications, right? Uh, wrong! Championship implications! Oh, no. Because on the final lap of the race, Santino tries to go for a move on Kanan. Kanan slams the door on him, and Santino's up in the marbles. Now, most would simply ride it out up there, try to stay out of people's way so they don't call a, cause a hellacious accident. Well, Santino Ferrucci's not like most drivers, because he drove it right back down onto the racing line, right in front of who? Early race leader... And championship leader Joseph. Newgar. I'm going to I'm going Hashtag to drive to Connecticut death. and fight this man. This stupid haircut. <laughs> <laughs> yep. New Garden has to take evading action. Spins the car out. Looks like he blew his gearbox to smithereens because he had no gears mm-hmm. after the spin. 
and he limped across the line, I believe, as the last car on the He was seventh. Yeah. Lost he was seventh. Yeah, he was seventh place. Not as bad as it could have been. However, this means that his Penske teammate and my personal boy, Simon Pagino, finished fifth and has moved to second in the Drivers' Championship. And that's because... Andretti blew their own legs off. Mm. Again, this is becoming a trend of Andretti. You always have a knack when they blow one of their own nuts off at one round a year, and it happened to be this one. But uh, Yeah, and this time, it wasn't Alexander Rossi's fault. He, they just really screwed the strategy in the end of that race. They did. They got it wrong. So as, as Cam alluded to, Simon Pagano fifth. Shout out to Connor Daly in sixth place. Ireland's <laughs> core temperature is stabilizing because Connor Daly is playing himself into a 2020 full-time drive with performances like these. Get this man a seat. He's doing this for Excellent Carlin. Rice. He's doing this for the yeah, team Carlin. that almost entirely missed the Indianapolis 500 with all four that of their cars. That car didn't make the 500. Indeed. Like, it's getting to a point now where Daly has top 10 oval speed, period, at this point. And that's a very valuable tool to have in your arsenal. Just saying. Great performance yep. from Daly yet again. Uh, Joseph Newgarden, as mentioned, stuttered over the line of gearbox issues in 7th. I love that Alex Rossi unlapped himself from Newgarden and everybody on the commentary box thought that was Rossi passing him for the championship. He was already a lap down. I thought that was quite funny. Ryan Hunter-Ray in 8th for Andretti, ahead of Colton Herter in ninth. Uh, Marco Andretti rounding off the top 10. Felix Rosenquist, the last man on the lead lap in 11th. We had five cars a lap down. James Hinchcliffe, Alex Rossi, Zach Veach. Charlie Kimball and Marcus Erickson had a couple of Matt spins. Lice. Yeah, they had a couple of spins. He did indeed. Matt Lice was two laps down. Graham Rahal was twenty-two laps down. Uh, Seb Bourdais broke his suspension, and this is a big one. Scott Dixon with a mechanical failure. The radiator um, gave out. Yeah, I think it was said during the broadcast he hold a radiator, potentially some debris. Uh, yes. So if you watch the if you watch the start of the race uh, during during the parade laps at the start, there's a massive pyrotechnics display on the back straight. Allegedly, one of the shells from the display went over the catch vents onto the track and through Scott Dixon's radiator. No! <laughs> oh, no! This has got to be the most publicized piece of debris since the time Danica Patrick hit a shoe and lost a gimme of a NASCAR win in Montreal. No, <laughs> no. Is that the racing god saying, no, Scott, it's not your year, son? It's the one thing, him, <laughs> it's the one thing that him snapping the Infinity Gauntlet couldn't account for. <laughs> of, of, of course, it was the. Of course, it was a firework shell from outside of the racetrack. Of course, it was. <laughs> yeah. It's the only thing that could take them down. Uh, yeah, the racing gods were like, "Not this year, Scott. Not this year." The other two, as mentioned, the other two DNF Spencer Piggott, who put it in the wall on lap one thirty, uh, one hundred and thirty-seven, and Will Power, who just lost it on the marbles and put it in the fence on lap fifty-two. Um, again, this did have championship implications. We are down to just two races to go. Again, the next one being Portland this weekend. But uh, Joseph Newgarden still leads the way. Actually extends his championship lead overall. 
See what such was the disaster that Alexander Rossi's strategy was. God. Indeed. Yeah. He now has a 38-point lead over his teammate, Simon Pagino, who still has a chance here for Team Penske in second. Um, he's on 5.25. Alex Rossi now sits at 5.17 after back-to-back mediocre rounds for Alex, really. Um, he's down to 5.17. Scott Dixon now... I don't want to say he's out of the running yet because it's Scott fucking Dixon. Realistically, it, it's Scott Dixon. We saw what happened in Portland last year where he... You know, he got back in the race after a huge pileup. He's 70 points out, We though. saw what he did at the end of There's the There's 150 se- points available. There is. It would, take a, it would take a miracle. All three ahead of him would have to have disastrous final races Something to like, have Scott. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big ask. Because yeah, you, you get points just for starting the race, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, and with the consistency of Newgarden, he blew his gearbox in a spin and still finished second. And he won to fight Santucci and, after that. If I recall. Yeah, I have never seen Joseph Newgarden that angry. Yeah, he's normally a very calm and diplomatic customer. He wanted to take Ferrucci's head off after that race. Because he, yeah, yeah, because he basically said Ferrucci chopped him, chopped him onto the race, chopped him on the racing line. You can't do that at an oval. Like it's an incredibly dangerous thing to do. And uh, see, one week ago, indeed, he chopped him over over the top on the racing line and. A week after Pocono, Ferrucci's going to have to learn at some point that just gunning your foot for every crash escape that you have, like, is eventually going to cause a hellacious wreck. He's got those eye racing. He's got those eye racing uh, wreck avoidance skills. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It was like something out of eye racing with the way he rejoined the racing Um, line. Lucky escape. Dixon is 70 points out on 493 with two to go. Everybody else is kind of fighting for the charity spots at this point. Will Power in fifth at 416. Takuma Sato, as mentioned, best of the rest on 382. Ryan Hunter Ray on 368. Graham Rahal eighth on 346. Santino Ferrucci now leads the rookie of the year chase on 326 in ninth. Ahead of Felix Rosenquist in 10th on 324. And then Ooh, two points, two points, and in that it. came up. That came up the next day where Santino said, "I'm not going to just let him by. I'm fighting for my own championship." Of course. Sit down, Santino. Shut Come up. on. Shut up. Like, and Felix ran off the top ten on 324 points. As mentioned, the Grand Prix of Portland this weekend. It'll be back. We'll be talking about that on next week's show. Um, the penultimate round of the season. And if it's anything like last year's, we're going to be in for a fun time. So check that out in next week's show. Feathers, apparently it's you guys... Actually, all right, it is actually this week. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say it's two weeks away. I can read a calendar, King, okay? <laughs> I'm not that terrible. All right. Now, let's get into the news, and apparently some of you guys were watching the live stream before this episode went out. Wait, 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 before, uh, before, we, before we get into there's that. There's a couple things. Before we get into that, I have some IndyCar news to, to warm us up a bit. Mm. Oh, yeah? So, uh, silly season update. Well, it's not really an update, but more of a... They're going to be most likely two more full-time cars next year mm-hmm. with... Andretti feeling a fifth full-time Jesus. car. Jesus. Oh, oh, Lord. And uh, 
Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan are aiming to run a third full-time car next year. Remember when Graham Ray Hall complained that he didn't get enough help? Now he's going to get two teammates. And Andretti Autosport, IndyCar is going to have to cap him like like NASCAR did with Roush Racing back in the day. This is full Roush Racing mid-2000s. Jesus. Yeah, so, so if everything comes to fruition... Andretti will be almost fielding a quarter of the full-time field. Good grief. Um, so that sweet, sweet who, Honda money. So who would Andretti be making a fifth car for? I assume it would be an all-in play for Colton Herta, maybe? maybe? Yeah, because it looks like Harding Steinbrenner's team is not long for this world. Yes, uh, that it's it's open that they have problems finding funding. Though and no shit, ask Patricio what? Award. <laughs> no I say obligatory. Fuck Mike Harding. <laughs> obligatory. Though Andretti says that they are gonna field a fifth full time car next year. That they're still opening to uh, supporting a six car through their Andretti Partners program, which is the program that Harding Steinbrenner Racing are in right now. Oh. I didn't know this was '80s in IMSA with Porsche. Just slowly take over the whole grid. Slowly take over the whole grid. We got some calendar uh, news uh, coming up. By the time this episode comes out, we might have it confirmed. We're going to get a yes. return to the Mid-Atlantic region. So, yes, it is heavily rumored that the IndyCar provisional calendar will be released by the end of the week with one major change, which is hinted hinted. By the fact that next week, Tuesday, there'll be an IndyCar press conference at Richmond Raceway. The newly renovated Richmond Raceway, I might add. Hmm. Yes. So, you know... When you have something like that, you might as well just announce it and say, oh, details will come out in the press conference. It certainly would go better than the Porsche... than Twitch plays Porsche Mon. Oh my god! <laughs> Twitch plays a Formula E reveal. Let's get into it. Yeah, I guess, I, guess, I guess we gotta get into it Y'all, now. Porsche just played us for three straight hours to reveal what was essentially uh, their traditional factory racing livery, which is drab as all get out, sorry Cam, mm. on a Formula E car. Uh, There's some black on there. Looks alright. Yeah, there was already the black on it. The name's kind of stupid. The name's kind of stupid. So, ju- just so we can get the exact length of this live stream, it is available to watch on rebroadcast on twitch.com slash Porsche slash videos. And the length of the broadcast is four hours, 25 minutes, what? and 32 they seconds. They basically had... If only it was five minutes shorter. They, they only had... They just had everybody try and do like a... It was basically Twitch plays Pokemon, but they were trying to solve puzzles to unveil the new Porsche yeah. Formula E Porsche, car. Porsche badly overestimated the human intellect of that. GG everyone, GG everyone. From Andre Lauder. That is three times um, winner. Highlights, even better. Highlights of the reveal. Highlights of the video game will be available tomorrow. <laughs> On newstv.portia.com. I see highlights of that. That is the worst version of Splinter Cell I ever played. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to infiltrate any facility with this dude. Oh, no. Oh, my God. Oh, no. Yeah, um, whoever was playing, because that was not pre-recorded. It was not. That, was, pe- it was, that was people actually doing that. Whoever is the poor fuckers who had to act that well, out. Well, hey, Nebnauer said he wasn't going to go work at Lowe's, so he's got to find work somewhere. 
And, and, and the way that the guy, like, the guy playing the game was trying to, like, hey, this is the answer to the puzzle was, like, the yeah, worst eventually episode the people of playing. Dora eventually the Explorer. The people <laughs> just had enough. Eventually they just had enough and were like, please, just let it end. Just let it end. Yeah, were they really that bad at solving this? Yes, they No, were. no, so basically, basically, the people, like, the people, the actors there couldn't do anything because it was all based off of answers to questions in the Twitch chat. And the Twitch chat, obviously, they're purposely trying to derail this thing. Yeah, because you had people, uh, just to start out with, it was an extension on Twitch that had an interface overlaid on the stream where you could click the answer, only people were just putting the numbers in the chat. Yeah. Despite the thing on the screen saying, please click the extension. And then, and then after a while, I was like, okay, just do the numbers. Just do this the numbers. This is the weirdest yeah. fucking game of Dragon's Lair I've ever seen. <laughs> it was... This is the Final Fantasy VII remake. <laughs> this sounds terrible. Now I'm just, you're it now imagining Andre Lauderer with Cloud Strife hair. Just imagine it. <laughs> oh, no. Can we also oh, imagine Lord. Neil Yanni with a uh, machine gun arm? Oh, dear. Uh, the car's name is the Porsche 99X Electric. Thanks, I really don't like it. And we'll see how it goes next year. Trust, trust the Porsche <laughs> Corazon to make name. But some of the some of the user made clips on this are hilarious. Where people just take out minute long clips from the broadcast. Oh, and even well, better, they accidentally revealed somewhat of a cheat sheet, which I then screenshotted through the clipping system on Twitch. Oh no. <laughs> One of my faves right now, Hacker Man gets mad. Hacker <laughs> 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 Man gets mad. Now, now at Motorsport 101, we do have an award called the Never Log Off Award for Biggest Meme. Well, this has to be there. I'm watching this clip right now, and I'm just like, oh no. Um, some of those in the in the Discord were claiming that this is competition for McLaren Indy for the Fallon Dior. Uh, it's in the conversation. It. It's out. It's in the conversation. It's a three horse race. Now, thankfully, Porsche didn't paint the car the wrong color white. <laughs> but no, they, it was they, really they, a bit much. They were only half committed about this, and they were still hashtag better than Red Bull. Oh Speaking of which, God. they're also sponsored by Red Bull's former engine supplier, dot, dot, dot. Oh, Stack. them. Yes, Vodafone. <laughs> God damn it, RJ. Oh, get, get him up out of the paint. Was, was it really that bad? Jesus. It was really, it was, it was absolutely Like, like the full Hacker Man bad. clip where at the end where he just flips the keyboard, that's everyone. This is everyone watching. I want to find a quote from a friend of the show, Conrad, which is posted in the Discord. Yes. Um, Scott Redding has a new ride. He's riding for Aruba.Italy Italia. Uh, Aruba.Italy Italia. Aruba.IT Ducati. Go ahead. Um, con- friend of the show, Conrad O'Keefe, said, we really, we really went through three hours, really four hours, of fuse flipping, donut eating, key destroying, bolt unlocking, office snooping, and car revealing for Andre to drop a casual gaming moment on us. <laughs> I don't know whether to kiss him or kick him in the nuts. We're, we're after the finishing montage of, yeah, we made it to the end, cut back to the live feed with... 
with Andre Lauder and Neil Yachty, and Andre Lauder says, GG everyone. Again, this is, oh this is Japanese, it's Patriot Racing Legend, three-time overall Lamar winner, Caterham F1 Hall of Famer, and hashtag Champ Car Guy, Andre Lauderer. GG everyone. <laughs> Andre Lotterer is now a, Andre Lotterer is now a meme. Swiftly moving on, yeah, it, uh, it's kind of been like the worst kept secret in World Superbikes that uh, about Avar Bautista's had one foot out of the door for quite some time. Um, he's been tempted over to Honda with the promise of a new Firebade, like better in-house development and a stack of cash. Which G Fi Willikers, eleven years the bike's been on the track. Yes. Fucking get a new one out there. <laughs> there, there is heavy rumors. It's again, like they said this during Suzuki Eight Hours because they like if you watch the Eurosport coverage, they had Neil Spalders as part of the uh, ro rotating commentary team, and he's one of the best tech guys in the business for bikes. And he said himself, it's pretty much an open secret. There will be a new Honda on Fireblade on the grid next year, um, and there will be a new Fireblade, and Bautista is going to lead the charge on developments on that, as well as get paid a handsome sum because, of course, Honda is going to be there and Honda race HRC will be directly funding this team as well. So I was going to say, so the lineup we're thinking is Bautista Camier. Big rumors about Takuma Takahashi joining as well. Oh, Ooh. yes. I'm here yeah. For it's like right in the veins. It's not like, it's not that Camier has been bad. It's that Honda, I think want to have a hometown guy on the other bike. And, uh, Kianari is, and Kianari is, for lack of a better term, washed to the point of being translucent. Yeah, he is fully washed. Apparently, he might be going back to Japan to to race in their Superbike Championship back over there. Um, still, no talk about Johan Zarco potentially going over. Vic, I know you're asking me about that. All I know is right now is that it was also confirmed today Alex Lowe's will be leaving Yamaha at the end of the season. Um, mm. I forgot to mention this as well in the news segment. So I'm, I'm calling an impromptu tangent here. Yeah, Lowe's is leaving Yamaha basically at the end of the year. Mm. There is still rumours he could be joining Jonathan Ray at Kawasaki. Oh, good lord. Um, Lowe's Mercy rule. <laughs> Let's not forget the majority of Lowe's success in his biking career has come from the guys in green. It's worth a shout. He's probably an upgrade on Leon Haslam at this point in his career. Um, there's still a lot of talk that uh, Haslam could stay for the next season because uh, apparently Haslam is a great developer. He's very good for feedback of the bike. He's very good at development of the bike. They like him in there. Obviously, winning the Suzuka 8 hours certainly helped as well. Hazelden put in many a stint during that race as well. He's always been favorable. Kawasaki like him. And, you know, they may not want to move him on so quick, even if they only gave him a one-year deal at the end of last season. Because the talk is now is that Top Rack is going to be going to Yamaha next year. So... A team of Top Rack and Vandermark is a uh, very exciting Yamaha team. That's I'll very exciting, but it's not Kawasaki led by Jonathan Ray. Jonathan Ray and Alex Lowe's. That's a hell of a friggin' team oh, if, that, if, they, if they end up being teammates next year. Um, maybe also a, an attempt from uh, Kawasaki to poach Lowe's for another Suzuka 8 hours attempt down the road. Oh, God. Just the thought. Just the thought, uh, something you may want to also consider, but yeah, um, Ducati. I mean, Redding is not Bautista, 
I don't care what you tell me. If anyone's been keeping half an eye on the British Superbike Championship this um, this season, Redden is struggling with 35-year-old Josh Brooks and Tommy Bridewell in the, in in that in their championship right now. I'm not convinced he's on Bautista's level, and hence, I think Jonathan Ray will be odds-on favourite to win the world title again next year if it came down to it. I'm not convinced that Redding is any form of upgrade um, on on Bautista, but uh, we'll yeah. have to wait and see. Um, I know Toki's been asking me as well, like, will Lowe's and Ray get along? Short answer, probably for the greater good. There is a little bit of history between them. They did have that incident at Haref earlier in the season where Ray kind of dive-bombed the shit out of Lowe's. So there's a little bit of tension there, but I, they do chat to each other on Twitter. They seem to have mutual respect for each other, so I don't think there'll be any major problems there. Just before we talk about the week coming up, speaking of provisional calendars, we talked about MotoGPs earlier. It looks like Formula One's dropped theirs for 2020 on the same day as well. So, And y'all want to talk about crunch? <laughs> really got that yes. crunch I'm looking for. First and foremost, yeah. we're going back to Barcelona. We're really excited to go Yay. to the places around the Circuit de Catalunya, Barcelona. The race, maybe less so much. But now let's unfold the bigger picture. God, this calendar's yeah. thick. It's okay. Good news. Good news. Good news. There are no triple or quadruple oh headers. That Christ. is the end of good news. Yeah, the, the bad All news. The good, the good news starts and ends with that sentence. The bad news is we are looking at F1's first ever twenty-two race calendar. Twenty-two. Um, here's a quick rundown. Season starts March fifteenth. Um, at, obviously at Australia, at Melbourne, at Albert Park. That's now a back-to-back with Bahrain a week later. That's going to be nasty on the old flight path. Um, so yeah, that's Australia and Bahrain is now a doubleheader, 15th and 22nd of March. Then they put Vietnam in the April slot. Um, that'll, that'll be uh, April, April 5th. The um, inaugural Vietnam Grand Prix, mind you. Indeed. Two weeks later, April 19th, we go back to Shanghai for the Chinese Grand Prix. The European season then starts two weeks later at Zandvoort? What you gonna do when 150,000 streaming for Stampa Maniacs run wild when they body slam Andre the Giant, who was 900 pounds, in front of 74 billion people in the Superdome, brother? 22? <laughs> um, yes, the <laughs> Dutch Grand Prix at Zandvoort on May 3rd. That is a, another half of a doubleheader with Barcelona for the Spanish Grand Prix. As announced today, they have kept a new deal in place to race around there. Um, two weeks later, uh, Monaco now the seventh round on the calendar on May 24th. Uh, this is a weird doubleheader after that because like, two weeks later, we go to Azerbaijan, Baku welcoming us back on June 7th. That's now a doubleheader with Canada. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, these oh, logistics right. are so fucking stupid. Hello, long haul, my old friend. Oh, Lord, I've come to cash in my sky miles. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's a strange uh, long-haul flight there. Baku to Montreal, June 7th and June 14th. Fortnight later, the French Grand Prix at Paul Ricard on June 28th. That is another back-to-back -back with the Red Bull Ring in, 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 in uh, Spielberg, Austria. Um, July 5th, two weeks later, the Blue Ribbon Round, the British Grand Prix, is still on the calendar. They have found a new way to keep it on the calendar for next year. Uh, July 19th. Um, t two weeks after that, the last round before the uh, summer break, uh, we are at Budapest at uh, what's the way? What's the way? X Magic pronounces that track's name again. Magyar, Magyar Nagadich. Rolls right off the tongue. Um, so yeah, that's the summer break. It's a four-week summer break, and then we come back on August thirtieth uh, for the uh, Belgian Grand Prix. At Spa Francorchamps, of course. Um, Max Verstappen's other home round. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to start that chain again. A uh, week after that, as an, again, it's another back-to-back. -back. Um, it's Belgium and then the Italian Grand Prix at Monza on September 6th. Here's a fun back-to-back. -back. <sighs> yeah, we're going to Singapore on September 20th, two weeks after that. And then that's now a back-to-back -back with the Russian Grand Prix at Sochi. Why? <laughs> I don't get Why it. Why is Russia still on the fucking calendar? I, because Vladimir Putin said so. Why is the British Grand Prix on the calendar? Because Boris Johnson said so. Sounds good to me. Let's not get into that this week. Oh, lordy. Uh, fuck Boris Johnson. Anyway, <laughs> September 20th and September 27th for the Russian Grand Prix and Singapore Grand Prix. Two weeks after that, October 11th, we fly out to the Japanese Grand Prix at Mategi. No, Suzuka. That, 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 that was an intentional reversal. See what I did there? Um, that's one for the blooper reel. Um, Honda's other home track. Of course. Um, two weeks after that, we fly back the other way across the Pacific to uh, the United States for the United States Grand Prix at Austin at the Circuit of the Americas. That is the only logical real back-to-back -back I see here because they've now got a back-to-back -back with Mexico on November 1st, obviously at uh, Mexico City. Two weeks after that, we uh, go to the Brazilian Grand Prix. Is that still the Interlagos King or is that the new street circuit they've been talking no, about? No, it's in Sao Paulo. It's still at Sao Paulo. Thank Christ. Thank um, and of course, two weeks after that, the season finale on November 29th. We're not actually uh, going into December next year. Thank Christ. Um, November 29th, the final round of the championship in Abu Dhabi for the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix at Yas Marina under the lights. A 22 race season. I never want to hear anybody complain about how how little Formula One see there is because we're gonna have four double headers, four of them. Say so no triple or quadruples, just a whole lot of doubles. Yeah, because I know we've had we had a triple header last year, didn't we? Jesus, I yeah. I remember we had. A I don't think we've had one this season, but I know we had a triple header last year. And I think that we, in general, I think we had four races in the month of July, which was also like, I think, didn't Hamilton clean sweep that month a couple of years ago? Mm -hmm. uh, he won every race in July. Like, I think the first guy to win four races in a calendar month. Um, yeah, that was, that was mental. Um, yeah, it's like, I don't like it. I, I've mentioned this on this show numerous times. I don't like the way that calendars seem to be just blowing up. The, like, I know we've mentioned it before. Chase wants 25 rounds. He wants it to it's be... Too many. Some, he wants it to be like NASCAR's calendar. 
and the difference is NASCAR's calendar is national, not international. Not only international, intercontinental. Right. Right. I love more racing just as much as everybody else, but I also realize, hey, sometimes these folks need a break, and that's perfectly fine. Otherwise, you're going to get into a spot where there's either, you know, you're going to get teams, you're going to get drop scores, you're going to get uh, teams that are stretched really thin for budget, hi, Williamson Force India, or you're going to get load management. This is Force India you're talking about. Racing point. God damn it, it's 12 months to the day. Jesus, really? Wow. Jeez. Happy birthday? In question mark at the end? Jesus. Um, It's... Like, I I remember Ron Dennis talked about this during the latter part of his McLaren days, where he talked about how if they ever got to 20 races full-time consistently, he'd have to hire a second set of crew chiefs, because he wouldn't want guys to be basically on the road for nine months a year. Mm -hmm. Well, think as well, think uh, think of the engine situation as well. Having to use these engines for so many races, and they're keeping the free end, the free power unit rule for next year. Apparently, oh, that's gonna go real could well. You, Hi, Reno. Could you just imagine though, if like one of these uh, cargo planes is like even a little bit late, there's gonna be a team absolutely bricking itself trying to get turn get turned around from from Baku to Montreal or from Singapore to Sochi. Especially, especially if it's one of the smaller teams. Yeah, that's not going to go down well. Um, and, yeah, there's a lot going on here. And uh, I can't say I'm a fan of it, personally. I, I I think F1 is getting closer and closer to being an all-round year sport. I mean, look at it this way. Your season ends at the end of December. You'll, you'll get Christmas off of your family. You'll you'll get a good chunk of January. Then you're back in the cars again in February for preseason testing. Yeah, so it's like I think I think Jason put it well in the chat is that if it, if it was logical and you had double headers with races near each other, it wouldn't be so bad. But Baku to Montreal, Sochi to Singapore. That's, that's, that's again. That's a little long. I love. Vic just did the math. Each power unit without a penalty, which it clearly one at least one manufacturer is not going to meet that. Again, rule. I love that Formula One goes to all sorts of new places. I love the historic venues. This is kind of the thing where we're just like, we don't want to lose the old venues, but we want to go to new places and we want to have more racing. But yeah, gosh, it's getting too much. Yeah, Vic did the math. Each power unit will need to do. With at least seven and a third weekends. Yeah, they, 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 they've got to do a run of eight in there somewhere. Eight yeah. eight weekends on the same power unit to avoid a penalty. And you talk, you talk about protecting the old places. No Germany. Yeah. Yeah, which produced a spec fucking tacular race this year. Yep. It's had two belters in the last three years. But Mercedes yep. weren't going to foot the bill for that because they yep. lost the last one. Pretty badly. Well, maybe their star driver shouldn't have put it in the damn wall. Simply put, the worst German loss in sport since that South Korea match in France. Ooh. Speaking of, uh... Now, I actually get to praise my boys here after roasting them relentlessly earlier, and with good reason. Oh, yeah? Porsche effectively clinched the IMSA GTLM manufacturer's title. Oh, yeah, that happened while I was out. Yeah, with anyway, a the week crushing, ahead. No. Oh, come on. <laughs> with a crushing one-two at VIR. Folks, I just gotta say, if if I say the meme, will you let the hostages and go in time for Friday free practice one at the Belgian Grand Prix? 
I'll give you anything you want. Just let them go. I'll say the meme if it, if it means we let the hostages go. <laughs> Anyways. Let's rattle on, actually. IMSA, unfortunately, has they have a problem right now with the BOP and GTLM. It's Porsche, and it's everybody yeah. else. Porsche were untouchable in that race. In fact, the, the top-class GTLM finished car by car with the two Porsches, the two Corvettes, the two Ford GTs, and the two BMW Massive 8s. Very symmetrical. Yeah. Of course, the Massive 8s haven't been having a good time. Oof. But congratulations on the title and the podium at Suzuka. Yay. Hey. And um, that also leaves the GTLM standings with an 11-point lead for the 912 crew of Earl Bamber and Lawrence Vantor ahead of their stable mates Nick Tandy and Patrick Pile. Excellent. The Tandy man can do a very good uh, opening declaration of soccer race, I learned. Mm. Mm. Uh, should we talk about next week, fellas? Yes. Again, if, if I say the meme, if I say the dead, tired meme that was tired before the end of free practice two last year, will you let the hostages go? Fine. To, to, to quote a be, to quote a uh, a better creature than me, we're not uh, we're not beating a dead horse. We're fucking the fear turkey. <laughs> it's turn five, actually. I don't know what to expect out of this race. It's Albon's first weekend at Red Bull, uh, but Mercedes are probably going to walk this, aren't they? Probably. Probably this and Monza are the only two chances I see that Ferrari has any shot at a win. <laughs> And oh, even okay. then, their front tire wear is so fucking bad. Ferrari also tweeted the Three. meme in question, uh, so they're already uh. entering the race with negative bank with negative balance of the cosmic bank. <laughs> oh no! Um, and also more more negative balance. Toto said Ferrari should be competitive, so I'm expecting a double DNF. Of course. Also, Benin fans out there, Alex Albon, eighty to one to win. Just saying. Oh. <laughs> that. No, because Kafiat no, didn't get demoted for this to happen. I'm putting a hundred on I'm it. I'm just saying. I'm just saying it might be worth an each way shout. <laughs> just, 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 just throwing it out there. Um, it's the miniature day of classics this weekend, is it not? We got Belgium, and we've also got NASCAR Southern 500, which means throwback liveries. Nice. Matt Benedetto rocking up with the classic Toyota IMSA Alex livery. Bowman wearing a Tim Richmond mustache in honor of the late Tim Richmond, who's who is honoring this weekend. William Makes Byron sense. doing it for Tom Cruise. Bubble Ball is doing it for Adam Petty. It's lit. It's lit. Um, IndyCar at Portland. WEC at Silverstone. <laughs> Oh, God, why do you have to mention it? I have to mention it because... Hey, hey it's only four hours long. But, oh, boy, four hours of Toyota skull-fucking the field only to be disqualified for But you get two races that weekend. I would know this because Graham had to leave immediately after the race to go cover this. But first plane out. <laughs> right. Yeah, also, GTE, who knows how that will go. We know that there will be no Ford GT in GTE Am because that's now dead. No more Fords in Europe. No more big mates in Europe. Sigh. Rest. No, the safety car for MotoGP will persevere. Indeed. It's fair. 
I think I think we're just about done here, folks, as we just cross over into the two-hour mark. But uh, basically, you can find us real quick when we get out of town. We're on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. Forgot to mention, thank you very much for getting us over 500 Twitter followers, Woo! everybody. Thanks. Hey. Much appreciated. Thank you very much. Um, our personal handles at Harrison101HD, LRJ O'Connell, at Ryan Eric King, and at C Buckley917. And you can find all of our details on our website, motorsport101.com, and you can back us financially on Patreon if you really like us. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. $5 gets you early access to all of our shows. 10 bucks gets you into the supporters club of our Discord server where you get to listen to these shows live as they go out. And you even get to see some of RJ's pictures and fun stuff from Suzuka as well chucked in. Because that's fun, right? Worth the price of admission alone, quite frankly. We'll be back for episode 210 next week. We'll be talking about the Belgian Grand Prix, IndyCar's penultimate race at Portland, and who knows what else. Until next time, I've been Andre Harrison. They've been uh, Cam Buckley, Ryan Eric King, and RJ O'Connell. And on a weekend where Mark Marquez put one hand on the title, unfortunately, he still got rinsed. Sayonara. Sayonara, y'all. Because that's Japanese for goodbye. It's in Japan. <laughs> Bye! <laughs> so until next time.